I run and I run and I run and I get out and I've gone nowhere. Nowhere! <laughs> the Secret Life of Pets 2. We start fires. How many of us have felt that overwhelming pressure of the amount of things that need to be done? And we feel like we work and we work and seem to get nowhere, just like that hamster, going round and round, but not actually achieving where we think we need to be. I have. I'd like to call today's message, Overcome Being Overwhelmed. For many, many years, probably since I started work actually, around the age of 18, I've experienced such an overwhelming burden in terms of workload, pressures of life, whether that be in my job, my housework, what's in the diary. Life can feel so overwhelming sometimes with the list of to-dos, like insurmountable mountains, busy, busy, busy. Sometimes I felt I was quite, quite literally going under, drowning in my stuff to do. It could make me feel physically sick, exhausted, panicked, anxious, in utter despair, total turmoil. It stole my fun, my joy, and I didn't want to go out because I had too much to do. Friends and family could become quite an unwelcome interruption and sometimes I just didn't want them around because I had so much to be getting on with. And I struggled to enjoy time out because my thoughts ruled what I thought I should be doing. I was grumpy and I was short-tempered. And I even felt unwell at times. And I expect if you were to ask my husband Colin and our daughter Skylar, I was a lot more than that too. I had thoughts like, well, as you did go out last night, you'll have to work harder and quicker today. You'll have to get up earlier. You'll have to stay up later. I can't do this. I'll have to do that. But if God wants me to do less, he'll just have to show me. I allowed those thoughts to set the pace, and I was totally overwhelmed, not coping at all. And whilst I hated this way of life, I had no idea it could change. I never even thought about that. I just accepted it for what it was. Then I read in John, the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Surely this overwhelming way could not be what God had purposed for my life. It didn't seem to line up with his word at all. In fact, it was miserable. And for me, it actually resembled more like death than life. So there was a conflict. There was serious opposition. And in Galatians 5, 16 to 18, it confirms this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. I allowed my flesh to rule, and it worked harder and harder, and it was never satisfied. But walking by God's spirit, I was to learn, had the best way forward. I then experienced thoughts like, it's too hard, it's too difficult, I don't know how to walk by the spirit. Well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way I am. 
I'll just have to put up with it until God removes it and trust in him. Although you should trust in him, of course. And I realised that accepting these thoughts would not resolve the situation or these fleshy patterns. My way of thinking had to change. Therefore, my way of dealing with this would then change. And Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. At the time, I did not understand or recognize what was actually going on. Where was this overwhelming thing coming from? I knew it was a form of worry, but what was going on? What was it? What was behind it? Could it be overcome before my crisis moment? And the answer to that is yes. And it's yes because Jesus shows us how. I just would like to pray for a minute. I give thanks and praise to the Father that helps us, <coughs> that, sorry, that help, his help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That you have told us in your word that in you we may have peace because in this world we will have distresses but that we may take heart because Jesus has himself overcome the world. I thank you that because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of our testimony we may also overcome. I give you thanks because you give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and always lead us in triumphal possession. Father, I thank you for these truths, and I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds today as we learn from the overcomer himself, Jesus Christ. Please give us a willingness to hear, a determination to learn and to do, and guide us into all truth. Please teach us your ways, Lord, that we may walk in your truth. And let us wholeheartedly revere your name. In Jesus' precious name, thank you and amen. Grab a drink of water. Okay, I would like to share with you then my journey from being overwhelmed to overcoming being overwhelmed. A few years ago, an encouraging brother in Christ had a word for me about being so busy and not sitting at my Lord's feet. He kindly encouraged me, and he prayed with me, and I didn't really pursue God any more on the matter. However, this had kept popping up. Two or three people in church a few Sundays back came out to the front and shared about somebody here being overwhelmed, and I knew God was speaking to me about that. And prior to that, the same brother in Christ spoke into my life again, along with another sister in Christ a day later, this was something that had not gone away or yet had been dealt with. Why not? God was certainly speaking to me about this. Why had God not taken it away? Why had things not changed? And why were prayers not being answered as I thought they should be? As I was clearly being nudged about this, instead of mostly ignoring it, which I, I kind of had in the past, I contacted a prayer partner for a reinforcement and we prayed into it some more. And I then realized that practically I had to make some choices. I had to give up some things that actually I thought were really good. But it turned out that God had not actually asked me to do them. And there were also some distractions that I could turn off, like certain notifications on my phone. And that did release some pressure. And over the next few days, 
finally, the penny dropped. What I was actually experiencing was a scheme, and it was a scheme of Satan. The Lord took me back to the time when Jesus was in the wilderness in Matthew 4 to show me the temptations or the schemes that Jesus faced and how he overcame them. And we can see from that scripture that Jesus was tempted by Satan three times. Matthew 4, 1 to 11, which I'm hoping is coming up on the screen here, reads, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. We can see from this scripture that Jesus spoke to Satan using the word of God. He resisted Satan, therefore resisting the temptations themselves, and the devil left him. And if we read Ephesians 6, which describes the battle we are in, and against who, in conjunction with our scripture in Matthew 4. You can see how Jesus engaged in the battle, resisted his enemy, and we are called to do the same. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18, describe the whole armour of God. And I think that's just coming up here too. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, and with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. From this passage in Ephesians and Matthew 4 and others, the Bible shows us that the battle we are in and that there is an, an enemy, oh, an enemy, an enemy, <laughs> a tempter. He is Jesus' arch enemy and therefore he is our enemy. So who is Satan? Who is this devil? And how does he work? 
Let's take a look on what the Bible tells us. So referring back to Ephesians 6, Satan attacks us in at least eight different ways. Satan wants to keep you from God's strength. He's after your honesty. He's after your heart and your righteous life. And he wants to fill you with anxiety. He wants to fill you with doubt. He longs to confuse your mind. He loves to tempt you to sin. And he hates it when you pray. John 8.44 tells us that Satan is a murderer. He lies and he's the father of lies. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us that he blinds the minds of unbelievers and he is the prince of this age or the god of this world. 2 Corinthians 11.13-15 tell us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light and his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 tells us that Satan imitates and wonders. And as we see in our main scripture in Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11, Satan tempts people to sin. Mark 4, 1 to 9, and 1 Thessalonians 3 to 5 shows us that Satan can pluck the word of God out of people's hearts and chokes faith. Luke 13, 16, and Acts 10, 38 shows us that Satan causes some, not all, sickness and disease. And 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 to 18 shows us that Satan fights against the plans of missionaries. And Revelations 12, 9 to 10 shows us that Satan is the deceiver of the whole world and accuses those before God. Satan will accuse you things like, I'm not good enough. I'm too weak and inadequate. I really shouldn't be in church. I don't belong here. I don't think I'm saved. I really don't think God wants to hear from me anymore, not after I've ignored him for so long. I'm a failure. Something must be wrong with me, and I can't get anything right. Those type of thoughts are likely to sound just like yourself, and that's, of course, where the breastplate of righteousness comes into play. And we can see clearly from Scripture, and it's important to understand that everyone has a supernatural enemy, Satan himself, an absolute trickster, and he is the one who works behind the world system and our own flesh patterns. He presents the bait, he hides the hook, he, Satan wants you, he wants your worship, and ultimately he wants your freedom. But it's also vitally important to learn and understand that the devil is absolutely no match for Jesus Christ. So what power, what authority does Satan have? Well, 2 Thessalonians 2.9 does tell us that Satan does have power. His works are often accompanied by all power and false signs and wonders. However, God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the only one that has authority and power over Satan. Now, Jesus is the only one that Satan must submit to, as shown in the temptation in the wilderness earlier in Matthew 4, as well as Matthew 28, verse 18, which reads, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, if Satan has to submit to Jesus, then where does Jesus dwell? If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Saviour, then scriptures tell us, such as 1 John 4, 4, He who is in you is greater than than he who is in the world. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. 
the hope of glory. For those in Christ, our authority is confirmed in Luke 10, 19-20. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. And other passages such as Luke 9, verse 1 to 2. Now, Jesus, our God, is sovereign over Satan. The devil does not have a free hand in this world. God does use Satan as a tool to complete his purposes. God created Lucifer, who became Satan. Lucifer was a beautiful angelic being, as described in Ezekiel 28, verses 13 to 17, and Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. And if you read those scriptures, they will show you that it was pride, Lucifer's downfall, that turned him into Satan. In Luke 22, verse 31 to 32, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Satan has to, had to ask God's permission to test Peter and the other disciples. On what basis could Satan make that demand? In Luke 22, verse 24, the context reveals the answer. There arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. Here again, we can see pride was the downfall, and it opened the door to the devil's opposition, and it allowed Satan a place Proverbs 16 to 18 says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So it appears that the flesh, or pride in this instance, gave a foothold to Satan. Had Peter crucified his flesh resisting it, I would like to suggest that he would not have given Satan a foothold. In Galatians 5, we are told to put to death our fleshy patterns. Jesus tells Peter in Luke 22, verse 32, that he has prayed for him so that Peter's faith may not fail. And when Peter had turned again, in other words, repented of his pride, for Peter to strengthen his brothers and the other, the other disciples. The implication that Peter and the rest would be sifted in whatever way Satan intended. So God allowed the harassing of his disciples within limits, but he had a higher purpose in mind after Peter had repented, the strengthening of them all. And another relevant passage is in the first book of Job. In verses 6 to 12, we learn that Satan was given instructions on what he could do and what he couldn't do to Job. Satan was not able to afflict Job without God's permission. At this point, let us remember that Psalm 103, verse 19 says, the Lord has established his in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. And 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. We simply cannot compare God with Satan, unless we perhaps think of them in terms of God the creator, as an atomic bomb, and Lucifer, who became Satan, the created as small as an ant. God is infinite and eternal, 
Satan is a created, limited angel. So we've learned a lot about our enemy, but God is greater than the enemy. And therefore, we can overcome because Jesus always did. And let's just remember 1 John 4, 4 says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So going back to our passage in Matthew 4, just a reminder, Jesus was tempted by Satan. Jesus resisted Satan by using the word of God and Satan left him. So the next stage for me was realizing that my being overwhelmed, this depth of worry, was actually a scheme of the enemy. In other words, temptation. In Ephesians 6 that we looked at earlier, we are instructed to wear the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. And some of you will have seen in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Some translations have the word devices instead of schemes or designs. So when I read those scriptures about Satan's schemes, I was a bit troubled and I said to the Lord, well, I appear to be quite ignorant of them. Some are perhaps obvious, certainly not all are. So I pray, please teach me to see them, to be aware of them and help me to learn to counteract them. Help me not to be ignorant of them. Now, I know Satan would love to remain undetected. And indeed, that is one of his schemes. But God is certainly answering my prayers as I learn more and journey with him. So being overwhelmed was a device or a scheme of Satan. It was a scheme to worry, to be overwhelmed in that worry, a temptation I fell for every single time, something that had always mastered me, But as we shall see, through Jesus, we can learn to master it. So as we begin to see and understand Satan's tactics and his schemes more, we see him working behind the scenes through the world system. This world system is set up against God to oppose God. And even our own flesh patterns can be against God. And we can start to see why so often things go awry. So once I'd realized my being overwhelmed was a scheme, I could find out the truth, the word of God, I could then resist, and the enemy would have to go. So here's how I overcame. Let's recap. So who was, being t- Jesus, who was Jesus being tempted by in Matthew 4? As we've seen, this scripture shows us that it was Satan. Jesus was tempted three times in three different areas, all ways in which we are also tempted. This is described in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. How did Jesus respond to Satan and to the temptations? Note, he didn't say a prayer at this time. Jesus responded, it is written, and followed through with God's word from Deuteronomy. Jesus spoke to Satan. Jesus did not just think, he spoke it out loud. Part of overcoming this scheme meant I had to speak God's word out loud to the enemy, just like Jesus did. The sword of the spirit, as mentioned in Ephesians 6, the word of God that I used, my offensive weapon, was Matthew 6, 34. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Did Satan flee? Yes, he did. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I don't work in an office or an environment with lots of people at the moment. I work from home. But I did. If, I, sorry, but if I did, I'm guessing I would have had some pretty strange looks that would have come my way by speaking out Bible verses, or I'd have to have spent many a visit to the toilet. Now, it's easier said than done, but I'm sure that odd looks would be welcomed if we gain victory and perhaps a testimony to others. And therefore, we've seen so far, we will be tempted. And when we are tempted, we must also talk back to Satan about Jesus and what he says. Therefore, resisting the enemy, and then Satan must leave. Speaking out God's word helped me to shift my focus from the situation onto God, too. And what seemed huge and impossible started to look significantly smaller. I quote um, from a book called Overcomer, written by David Jeremiah. It's all right to talk to God about your problems, but sometimes you need to talk to your problems about God. Preach the goodness of God to them. Prophesy the promises of God to them. Proclaim the victory of the cross to them. Put your problems in perspective. We must learn to put God in his rightful place on the throne and the enemy in his below our feet and ourselves too, fully reliant on God and what he says to be true. We can see from Matthew 4 that Satan does not obey our thoughts. Jesus spoke to him, hence why we need to speak out loud too. Satan does not know our thoughts unless he himself has placed those thoughts in our minds. He can influence our thoughts, which he can and he does do. And then he watches to see what you do with them, how your flesh will react in a hope to gain a place or a foothold in your life. And we can see this from Acts 5, verses 1 to 6, where Satan filled Ananias' heart to tell a lie, and it did not have a good ending. Um, in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, where it says, Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Only God knows every thought. There is no other. And we can see this in Psalm 139, verse 1 to 2. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Will Satan return? Absolutely. We wouldn't need the truths and instructions from Ephesians 6 otherwise. And in Luke 4.13, it shows Satan comes back. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I learned from Matthew 4 that what we tolerate, we will have. And what I mean by that is, if I had remained passive, i.e. I did nothing and just tolerated the situation, then Satan would not have had to have left. It would take more than a prayer in this situation. Victories do not happen by accident. Jesus did something, as we have seen already in his own times of temptation and confrontation with the enemy, Jesus was not passive. In conclusion, 
if Jesus was being tempted by Satan, then of course it happens to me, and it is happening to you, will happen to you. If Jesus had to overcome by speaking the word of God out loud to the enemy in order to resist, then I and you will have to overcome this way. We have everything the same as Jesus does. Right in our hands, as confirmed in 2 Peter 1, 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. True life begins with a life surrendered to God. The first step to learning and being able to overcome is a life submitted to him. We must be in proper relationship to God through the acceptance of Jesus and his works on the cross. How do we overcome the devil in everyday life? As far as the enemy is concerned, we are only instructed to resist him, having on the whole armor of God, and living a righteous life is your best defense. Again, James 4, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. A good understanding of the word of God, who God is, who you are in Christ, and who the enemy is, is paramount. Knowing truth helps us to recognize the schemes, and therefore we get to resist them. Jesus himself says in John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our lives will adjust and align with truth when it matches the mind of Christ. God will teach us to be led by truth and not necessarily by your feelings and your emotions. We must learn to confront our giants, our problems, temptations, and hopefully learn to master them or overcome them before they overcome us. And slowly I'm grasping at my swords, the word of God, learning to stand firm, to pray, keep on my armor of God, and to face the enemy. Psalm 118, verse 14 says, The Lord is my strength. He's my defense. He has become my salvation. I've not yet fully grasped all of this by any means, but I am on the right side of things, and I will to learn. And if I'm to be honest, which I'm glad I can be here, I mostly don't want to work at it. I often don't want to do it. I just want to know. I actually want it just handed to me on a plate, to be honest. I'm attracted to doing other things. I often don't want to pray. I struggle to actually pray, to study God and his word, and to put it into practice. But I'm of the conclusion there is just no other way, and we must be determined and we need God's help to be determined. We really do get out what we put in. And if we allow our flesh, our emotions, and our feelings, and our desires to rule, which I have done, we will get what we allow. We absolutely have to crucify or put to death our flesh, as Galatians 5.24 reads, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
Often my flesh said and felt, God did not hear my prayers. Often my flesh said and felt, what I was praying was making no difference at all. And often my flesh said and felt, what is the point? And I did, sadly, unfortunately, let my flesh rule at times, and I pulled back. It was hard, and it was difficult. Crucifying one's flesh is probably several sermons on its own, and for another time. And before sharing this message, I prayed, and I asked the Lord about it. I never received a yes, share it. I never received a no, don't share it. So when I brought this message to John to see if I could share it, I had thoughts like, perhaps don't show John. He'll think it's ridiculous, and you'll sound silly, and he'll think you're not growing very well. He's likely to refuse it and say, you can't preach something like that in church, and then it'll embarrass you. And I wouldn't bother to share it. Most people know what to do anyway, so you'll look really pretty silly, and then, um, no, it's a waste of time. Gosh, what if you don't put into practice the next time a temptation or situation comes and you fall flat on your face? Everyone will think you're a believer in Jesus who does not practice what you preach. What a hypocrite. You will lose your integrity and you're going to look really stupid. And worse still, they'll think Jesus isn't real or he lets his people down. Besides, you don't know enough yet. All those thoughts really sounded like me. Was that Father God? Was that me? Or was that one of the devil's devices? I would suggest it was a device of the enemy planting thoughts into my head. And in this case, I chose to ignore them. So if I become overwhelmed, if I end up sinking again, has God failed? No. Has God left me? No. Did God exist at all? Absolutely. I simply calculated without his works and without his victory. And I'd like to bring this message to a close and in a similar fashion to John does sometimes with his um, same letter word pointers. And I can confirm that the Lord has taken me from passivity to prayer to persistence and to perseverance to a punch on the nose of the enemy. <laughs> but I always had to make some choices in that. And I want you to be encouraged today because without tests, we don't get to have testimonies. And this all started from a place where brothers and sisters in Christ were obedient to God and shared what they thought God had laid on their hearts, which then eventually started my prayers specifically using and doing Philippians 4, 6 to 7, along with Psalms 55, 22, and 1 Peter 5, 7. And ultimately then, give God the glory, as Psalm 50, verse 15 says, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. And glorifying today has been my aim here, the great and almighty deliverer. And so all praise and honour and glory goes to the one who is, who was and is to come, the great and awesome perfect God, Jesus Christ, who himself has already overcome. Thank you so much for listening.